This is Coda Radio, episode 450 for January 24th, 2022. Hello, friend, and welcome back to Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show, taking a pragmatic look at the art and the business of software development and the world of technology. My name is Chris, and joining us nice and close to his mic, it's our host, Mr. Dominic. Hello, Mike. Hello, hello. How are you? I'm pretty good. I, uh, I've i got a newfound respect for our audience. I think they've really figured us out because we got a lot more emails this week about the green bubble struggle. Oh, oh yes. I even heard that it's an issue in the Navy. People, in the, adults in the Navy uh, are also green shaming. But a couple of the emails were like, hey, guys, I'm sure you're not going to want to talk about this for a third week in a row, but I just got to let you know this is going on. And I really like they I, I, I appreciate that they really tuned in like, OK, this has been going on for a while, but I still got to let you know how I feel. And I'm all, I'm all down for that. I definitely was unaware of how many, although I, really, we've known that for a while. A lot of young folks listen to the show, which makes me regret about 200 episodes. <laughs> and yeah, I, I don't know what to say. Kids like, OK, the struggle is real. I I. I'm sorry. I mean, it's, it sucks that people do that. To be honest, man, I feel like I heard from a lot of adults this week. The Navy dude was, that was surprising. And I get it. I also agree with the sentiment that it feels like there's more Apple could do. The Android experience is better on the other side with mixed group chats. You'd think Apple could take a few of those steps. But what really got people talking was our dystopian chat about the metaverse last week. And, you know, I think we got a whole range uh, Richard has a warning. Not so much for me. I think it's more specifically targeted at you. If you guys out there have any thoughts, uh, go to coder.show slash contact. But Richard's warning for Mike reads as follows. Tell Mike he needs to spend the $2,000 on the Apple VR headset because when the JB podcasters meet up in the metaverse, does he want to be one of those blue people or the green people? Just tie it all together there, Rich, huh? <laughs> Isn't that brilliant? I really I like that. So I, I actually have a flag on this play. All right, fair enough. You think it's only going to be $2,000? That seems wildly optimistic. And you know, Apple, they're going to have a, you know, a good, better, and best kind of setup. And you know me, I'm starting at the top and hopefully can talk myself down to the middle. If they do M1 processors in there, I think the lesson I have learned is you're a fool if you go for the top. Yeah. I did not need to get the max. Maybe I won't regret it in five, six years when I'm still using the machine for some production purpose, but right now it feels like the Pro would have been fine. So the middle machine would have been fine for me. Of course, all roads lead to the M1 encoder radio these days because, hey, someone's got to beat that processor. And I did not pull the trigger, thank God. But I've decided if I did it, right, this is an OJ moment, it would be the four, a pretty high-end 14-inch. Oh, yeah, nice. I want that USB-C charging. I know it has the MagSafe anyway, but I'm I'm so deep into the USB-C lifestyle, Thunderbolt lifestyle now that I'm just I just want it. And I don't use GPU cores on my dev machines. Well, you do, but just not. Well, but not not in the way that it's going to matter, right? Although it, it is pretty. So, Xavier writes in with a bit of a story. Stay a while and listen. Hi guys, long-time listener, somewhat recent supporter, listening from Sweden. So this is my first time writing because the VR discussion I thought was very interesting. I totally get all the skepticism, you know, also even the fear for new markets with big corporations that are trying to fight in there. But I want to tell you a story. 
We, myself and two business partners, decided to abandon our high-paying day jobs as software infrastructure engineers exactly at the same time the first COVID lockdowns started to hit. Lucky us. Despite the daunting odds, we actually managed to get some clients for our consulting firm while developing a side project that now, almost two years after, we are getting ready to launch to the market. In those two years, we also managed to bring in two contractors that work for us. Our business was doing pretty good last year, and right before Christmas, we were thinking, you know, let's get ourselves and our contractors some nerdy presents. And you know, the ones that you just wouldn't really ever buy for yourself because you don't want to spend that much money, but you'd love to try it. After some deliberation, we decided, let's get everyone one of those Quest VR headsets. That'll be a hoot. Oh, no. (laughs) At this point, all five of us live in different parts of the country. One's even in a different European country, and we all work remotely. So what started as a bonus present ended up being our preferred and most used way of holding meetings. We're seasoned users of both Google Meet and Teams, and we use them all the time, and we're in many slacks. But using meta workrooms is something else. You get your own meeting room where you see your colleagues' avatars. Hand movements are traced very precisely, and mouth movements seem to be activated by sound. And one of the best features is the small speakers in the headset actually give you precise information about the direction where the voice is coming from and the relation to the position of the speaker in the room. You can also bring your laptop in so you can see it there on the table in front of you, and you can share your screen by, quote, projecting it onto the wall. Also, there's a really nice whiteboard functionality where everyone can draw using the controllers, and you can then save those drawings. And then finally, you can bring someone who's not using VR in through just a video conferencing screen. They see the room and the avatars in their webcam feed. They look like a TV hanging on the wall. I'm telling you, this was a toy, and we were skeptical, but the feeling that you got out of these meetings is just completely different from the regular Meet Zoom teams. You emerge having feeling that you've collaborated together. Instead of just absorbing what someone was throwing at you, you really feel like you connected. We rarely have video meetings anymore. I mean, there's some downsides. The resolution isn't great yet. I wouldn't want to sit in it all day. I definitely wouldn't want to code in it all day. And of course, I have concerns with meta and privacy. So I really can't wait to see what Apple comes up with. And maybe, just maybe, I'll look down to see my Apple Watch or bring up my iPhone in there. Anyways, this ended up being a wall of text. (laughs) Uh, Keep up the great work. He says Coda Radio is one of the highlights of his weeks. Cheers, Xavier. So how do you feel about this? This is sort of like the second version of this story we've heard now. I feel nauseous. That's how I feel about it. Yeah. So so the problem is if it's actually good, it's gonna it's gonna be a thing, right? You think we're gonna be in this world where you're gonna have to have like three VR headsets because none of them are gonna interop. That's the tricky part, right? Because it's it's meta's workspaces, right? See, and of course, the Linux user in me can't help but start thinking, but wait a minute, these are all going to be closed proprietary services that are monitoring you. Like, I can't help but go down that route. But then I think to myself, well, maybe some decentralized version will be created if there really is like a valid use. Maybe these rich tech companies validate the idea and then something gets built out of the community that is at least somewhat fair and respectful to users. It's possible. There is a killer app for this, though. I could see it. I could see it. What is it? The Google version, and they bring back Wave. <laughs> no, seriously, make Wave the whiteboard in the meta in the Google verse. That's killer, actually. That's I could see that actually. That would be really great. And you could have people that weren't in the metaverse collaborating with people that were in there. Call it MetaWave. There you go, Google. You can have that one. Just send me a check. We'll keep it quiet. So David sees another 
VR potential here, another use case for VR that I have seen and just don't often think about. But he says, I don't actually think it's going to be for entertainment or specific professional applications only. He says, you know how just small changes in your tooling can seem inconsequential, but then actually end up making things way more productive for you or help you be way more focused? Well, our brains just kind of work better in certain environments and contexts. So here's the thing. If you try a virtual desktop on a modern VR headset and use a little imagination, you could quickly see how you could tailor a much better working environment. The spatial element really gets the brain just like it likes to work. Being able to put your text editor and browser in front of you, a reference sheet to your side, and then Spotify on the ceiling, it actually feels great. It sounds silly at first, but it's more fluid than simply just having multiple monitors. The experience is comfortable, and with headsets getting better, I could see spending more time in there. And I have actually seen screenshots of this or watched video demonstrations of this where you can essentially have infinite screens because you take the individual application windows and you bring them into this virtual work environment and you arrange them in a 3D space however you like. I mean, you could take a 14-inch laptop, assuming it had a good GPU to help you render this, put on the headset, and you could have a room full of screens like you're the architect in the Matrix. Ergo... Facebook gets all your information. <laughs> yeah, nice. <laughs> See, this would actually be the good in the metaverse because just the look of horror and disgust on my face is probably worth something. Yeah, I can see your mouth gaping open right now. Like, what is happening? You know, he also points out that, uh, and this is one of the things that's rumored with Apple, is they're going to have decent eye tracking in there to see where you're looking. And if you could use your eyes to replace the mouse and you have better voice input methods, it might help people that have accessibility needs too. Ooh, that sounds horrible for Activision. So could you wait? Could you get a sexual harassment lawsuit from the metaverse? Oh, no doubt. That's going to be a thing. Seriously, right? They track your eyes like, dude, come on. No doubt. Sorry, Kotick, you're screwed. (laughs) Yeah, it really is. We're going to get there, too. I did a little digging on that. In that vein, though, we actually got an email that said from uh, Asklamo that says that things are going to get kinky in the metaverse. The metaverse has really existed for a long time. I mean, you guys have heard of Second Life, of course. There's worlds.com. He's what he thinks is going to happen. Companies are going to try this. Most of it's going to flop. Companies then, you know, did the same thing. They tried Second Life. Didn't really work. Harassment's going to be rampant, like you just said. People tend to lose their mind online. He said VR is just going to make that even worse. But he says, speaking of sex, this is where it's actually going to succeed. Sex workers will move to VR in virtual worlds. Yeah, OnlyFans. Seriously, like this is your thing, right? Things can get crazy in a world where there's no limits. Eventually, the metaverse will be regarded as that weird sex place. Or cybering is going to mean doing things in the metaverse now. And companies won't want to have anything to do with that, and we'll move on. Or they'll just capitalize on the fact that we're all just really kind of (laughs) kinky. He says, okay, I'm all tongue-in-cheek here, really. But I could actually see things going this way. Oh, no, I feel like that's a thing. Well, I mean, maybe you'll have specific metaverses. Like you have chat rooms and web forms and different websites. You'll just have, gosh, so many. You'll have all these metaverses. They'll probably have some sort of Web3 token. (laughs) Jesus Christ. (laughs) And you'll go get your avatar with an NFT. (laughs) NFT porno pictures. Oh, my Lord. Uh, Man, and here we are just sitting here podcasting. We got to get in on this action. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) That's That's what everybody else says. Everybody eventually just gives in and just says, all right, let's get in on this action. You know there is some team 
at Sulaim when I know of OnlyFans being like, why are, how are we not doing this? What's, what's happening to us? Meanwhile, we're sitting here talking about green bubble struggle. People are out there building uh, metaverse sex dens and the whole business operations in the metaverse. Oh my God, the Meta Hellfire Club. <laughs> I wonder if they'll have Meta Health Clubs. Like the Meta Gym? Yeah, like a Meta Gym. Like you're on your own treadmill at home. But yeah, I wouldn't think that. I think that'd suck because you get your headset all sweaty. Well, when Apple buys Peloton from the verge of bankruptcy... That seems like a marriage made in heaven, right? That seems like something Apple would do, doesn't it? That, that's kind of, they're even kind of aligned brand-wise and all of that kind of thing. They kind of have something like that with their Fitness Plus. That's sort of what started the slide for Peloton. It's not the whole reason, but it's kind of what started the slide is when Fitness Plus launched. Competing at one of the Titans is bad for you? No. Oh, weird, huh? Mm, weird. Linode.com slash coder. Go there to get $100 in 60-day credit, and you go there to support the show. You know, I was just talking to my friends over at Linode before the show started a bit ago, and they're really focused right now on the multi-cloud movement that they're seeing pick up over 2022. You know, they've got people to watch these trends. This is their business, right? They've been in cloud computing for 18 years, so they like to watch, see where this stuff is going. And this is a big area that's gaining momentum, and the reasons are obvious. Linode has 11 data centers around the world. The large hypervisors that always try to lock you into their platforms, they do like a thousand things, but they only do a dozen of those thousand things very well. They have very complicated interfaces that the skills you learn there are only applicable to that particular ecosystem. And they really, at the end of the day, are just trying to draw you into their bigger and bigger products that make them more money. Linode works a lot differently. You see, they started 18 years ago because they saw where Linux was going. They realized the potential of virtualization and how that could change cloud computing. And they started building from that first principle. They started working in the community, going to events, hiring other Linux users, and now sponsoring the hell out of Linux media because they've always invested in that ecosystem because they know long-term making the ecosystem healthy makes them successful. That's something the big hyperscalers haven't really wrapped their head around yet. And it's a very big point of contention right now in the free software community. And that's an issue that Linode has managed to avoid while becoming the largest independent cloud provider in the world. And they have all kinds of additional services like S3-compatible object storage, cloud firewalls, DDoS protection, VLAN support, a powerful DNS manager, super fast networking, and prices that are up to 50% cheaper than those major hyperscalers that are trying to lock you in. And they've got fantastic grade A community. So go check it out for yourself. Take advantage of that $100. That's money you can really use to try the system and get a real educated impression. Linode is dedicated to offering the best in virtualized cloud computing. If you can run it on Linux, you can run it on Linode. So sign up today and support the show. Linode.com slash coder. That's Linode.com slash coder. Microsoft to acquire Activision Blizzard and Quote, bring the joy and community of gaming to everyone across every device, end quote. I'm sorry. So my good friend Lacutus actually wrote, DM'd me for the show today. He said, I told you you'd all be assimilated. Resistance was, in fact, futile. No kidding. I mean, everybody's saying it now, but I was legit live streaming when this news came out, and I immediately coined Microsoft the Disney of video games. Yeah, they got it. This is like the biggest acquisition in the gaming industry history. I think it's Microsoft's biggest acquisition ever. It's a lot of money. 
But the details, I mean, that's something, right? I mean, that matters. The money matters. But the details of how it all went down, I think, are are really kind of... It's the best case of you reap what you sow. So nearly 70, it's 68.7 billion. So nearly $70 billion to get a video game company. And no, no, it's nearly 69. But you know, Satya was like, that is not happening. Roll that back. <laughs> Roll that back. 300 million down. Bobby Kotick has been the CEO of Activision Blizzard since its inception in the merger that happened back in 2008. He was the CEO of Activision before that. He also helped engineer the $5.9 billion acquisition of King, which is the game maker of Candy Crush Saga. Famous for fleecing middle-aged women all over. Yep, making big money. But as many of you know, for the last year, they've been in a really weak position after internal turmoil over sexual harassment lawsuits that were filed by the California Department of Fair Employment and Housing. It seems that the CEO is also perhaps involved in some of that. Uh, It's been going on for a year and the stock has been crashing as a result. And there were some out-of-court settlements. It appears that Bobby failed to report some of those settlements to the board. Eh, it's just a couple bucks. Yeah. Yeah. But here's the interesting part. Microsoft senior executives started circling like vultures immediately. And they've been looking for a while. In fact... Satya Nadella made a public comment stating that Microsoft had been searching since the summer of 2020 for an acquisition that would, quote, deliver a stable of consumer users. (laughs) I love the way the business types talk. (laughs) You know, a stable of consumer users. Well, they got it. Uh, And it's also been fascinating because they're kind of spinning it as Microsoft reached out in good faith to just kind of check in on the CEO during rough times. Oh, yeah. Hey, dog, what's up? Yeah, it was totally cool, right? And so the media's running with that narrative. But it's, I mean, if you just look between the lines, Microsoft was leveraging a bad internal situation to their benefit. Well, and they publicly said before this deal came out, like when asked about, Phil Spencer was asked, how do you see your relationship with Activision given these uh, revelations? He said, we're reevaluating everything. So they like literally kneecapped them first. Which helped the stock slide. There you go. That's how you do it. It's basically down 50% over the year. We call that the a-hole tax. And right as the scandal started breaking, Xbox head Phil Spencer at Microsoft circulated an email inside Microsoft saying that they were, quote, evaluating all aspects of our relationship with Activision Blizzard and making ongoing proactive adjustments in light of the revelations. They were clearly keen to this from go. Everybody knew, right? I feel like in that industry... It's so funny, especially if you follow some of the more independent outlets, yay. It wasn't a secret that Activision was like Animal House on steroids. It's a really telling story of how an internal sexual harassment situation can really snowball into into something really significant. We should be super clear, though, right? This isn't just like, I mean, it's all bad, but this isn't just like garden like inappropriate relationships or like you know comments this is like there's accusations of like rape and like real like extreme including the ceo himself like very serious you'll go to prison for 10 years kind of it's bad stuff my point is simply like this stuff even if you you know are a cold calculated business bastard like this stuff matters the ceo needed to go I would say felonies are generally a bad business practice. Yes. And, and that's why he's out. He's out now as part of the Microsoft is cleaning that up. The irony here is Microsoft is kind of one of the most progressive and kind of politically, you would say, liberal, for lack of a better term, companies. They're going to fire the out of these guys. Yeah, for sure. And well, they should. I, it's rare for me to be on kind of that side of things. But this is so extreme 
honestly, I hope this doesn't quell the investigation. If the allegations are true, there's actual criminal acts here. I don't really understand why they gave Bobby the option of spinning it as, I'm going to remain as a consultant. Because he bought the company out of bankruptcy, and he effectively has founder status. And if he dragged in his heels, the deal wouldn't happen. Right. And he wasn't going to let this happen unless he gets to save public face. He gets to save face, and he gets to basically get a giant golden parachute. He'll be a rich dude, right? He was already a rich dude. He he spins this whole thing a little differently, of course. He was Shocking. interviewed, and he says, uh, this is one of my... <clears throat> One of my favorite quotes, he says, you know, we were looking over the course of the next couple of years and starting to realize that we needed thousands of people to be able to execute against our, pro- our production plans. We need them in disciplines like AI and machine learning or in data analytics or purpose-built cloud and cybersecurity. And we just don't have that. And the competition for that talent is expensive and really hard to come by. So he says... This is really why he called Microsoft up, even though Microsoft says we called him up, right? He says later on, then Microsoft called them, but he made the first call. It's they go back and forth on that. But when they when that thought when that call from the Xbox head Phil call, comes, he says it just happened to be at a time when we were getting ready to start our long range planning process and realizing that these were going to be issues and challenges, implying that the deal was too good to pass up. He then states. They made this offer that was incredibly attractive at a 45% premium over the stock price. <laughs> yeah, so basically short of what they were before the scandal. <laughs> this is cute. Like, I love it when CEOs do this. Like, we were looking at what we needed to do to fulfill our bold vision. You know, the only way to fulfill my vision that's so bold is I have to hire thousands of people. And if I can't do that, I have to quit. Yeah. This is such horse. It's so it's so obvious. Like, like now that I've been around for a little while and I've seen this cycle, it's just I mean, I understand why he's got to do it and he wants a reputation and he wants to speaking gigs, et cetera, et cetera. But geez. Well, and I'm sure he's hoping that like by him not being there, these investigations just effectively go away. Right. Yeah. Nothing wakes you up like a subpoena. I just saying it's it's probably unpleasant. And the elephant in the room is like everyone's aware of how awkward this is. Like just without context, the Xbox account tweets. Xbox is committed to our journey for inclusion in every aspect of gaming. We hold all teams to this commitment. We're looking forward to extending our culture of proactive inclusion to the great teams across Activision Blizzard. (laughs) I can rephrase that into non-business speak. Yeah, go translate for us. Hey, assholes, we're coming for you. You guys are getting fired. (laughs) Yeah. The minute the ink is done on the paper, you guys are talking like... And then, of course, there's some great threads on Twitter. You look at the titles now that Microsoft owns, Getting King and Candy Crush, that's interesting. And you got to feel like all of this is a long-term play for the Game Pass, the streaming service and that kind of thing. Best 15 bucks a month ever. Right? I play it on my iPad all the time. It's great. And this goes back to my point. It's like they are going to be the Disney Plus of video game streaming. Yep. I honestly could see myself signing up one day. In fact, I'm thinking... Because I don't play it much, I'm going to cancel my G4 streaming. It's been pretty good, but I think I'm just going to wait for a bit and watch this market kind of shake out. It's good. I, I like how Sony, I, we don't have the statement quoted here, but they're like, we're not worried about it. And then their stock goes down 20%. Well, the market's definitely a little worried. Well, all Sony has to do to sell a few consoles is let Microsoft publish a streaming app, right? Could they do that? Would, maybe they've done that. I don't know. But could you imagine buying a PlayStation 4 and then installing the Xbox Game Pass stream app? <laughs> <laughs> Depends on, I don't know how what the browser's like on there, but I mean, the damn thing runs on mobile Safari. 
Oh, I haven't tried that. It works, huh? I have iPad Pro Mobile Safari, yep. I mean, I'm not going to point out the fact that when I said they should do that on the show, you gave me a hard time, but, you know. Well, then I actually tried it because, if <laughs> listen, if I could get my favorite Activision games, which I need to name some that I don't know, and obviously my deep, deep love of all of their works, I think they make Call of Duty, is that correct? Yeah, and Diablo's in there. Oh, actually, I do want the new Diablo game, and I don't run Windows. So, yay, right, we're in a VM. I, I know. Like, if you go Google now the game companies and, therefore, the properties that Microsoft now owns, it's a lot. It's unbelievable because what they, you know, what, what's, what's happened over the last eight years or so is a lot of consolidation in the gaming market. So these big companies bought up a lot of the smaller shops that have made games we've all loved, and then Microsoft bought them right like they all kind of consolidated and then Microsoft bought all of them and now they've just bought the biggest one i've been hearing this and this is actually the conspiracy theory i kind of buy sony now has to buy a big japanese publisher there's really only one square enix so we're going to end up in a world where do you like western games microsoft do you like japanese games sony and are, are you interested in making billions of money and possibly getting abducted in the night like jack ma tencent Meanwhile, Nintendo's just smiling, knowing that I'm going to buy my 100th copy of Mario. Yeah. Nintendo's like, have you considered buying Super Mario 3 this week? Would you, would you like to rebuy Super Mario Brothers for the 10th time at least? <laughs> I heard a rumor that their office in Kyoto is like four dudes. They're just like, literally, they're in there repackaging the same couple of repos over and over again. <laughs> they go find a good, solid open source emulator, port it over to the Switch, call it good. <laughs> I mean, maybe. And yet, here I am, the dummy that's paying every month so that way I get access to that stuff. So they got me. I tried the 64 one. It was just... Yeah. Super Nintendo is where it's at. I, I love that. I'd love a few GameCube games if they ever wanted to do it. But during the GameCube to the Wii and the Wii U era, I thought they were kind of off on their own path and had lost their way. But they were onto something. Long term, their strategy, I think, is going to play out in this market. They've got their moat for sure. And I think when you look at Netflix right now, which is crashing hard. Part of the issue is, is that they tried to build a strong moat with their exclusives, but it was really all of those specific IPs like The Office and Friends and even Star Trek. That's what people were really going there for. And of course, a few of the originals. Yeah, so so one more piece of bacon on this gaming thing. I, I literally don't think this is going to hurt Sony that much because I bought a PS5 for Japanese games. Hmm. If I'm Steam, I think I'm real scared. There are some Microsoft games and like one or at least one or two of the Age of Empires is in there. Age of Empires 4 is in there now, but I it's not even that. It's at some point most people who aren't 14-year-old boys have limited gaming time. So if you have this a giant stable of games, I'm using your term there, there Microsoft that you get for your 15 bucks a month, are you really going to go buy something on Steam when you could just I don't know, open Edge and uh stream whatever hmm it's a good point microsoft huh like what a silent killer their dream from the 90s is back baby <laughs> we'll just buy everything no one really brings up monopoly about micro you know, google and apple were throwing monopoly around like crazy but microsoft nobody's really saying anything well they're the nice guys they heart linux i mean what, what's from it's got to be that they have learned how to play ball with the federal government better than any of these other shops i don't know if you saw but it appears Apple is so desperate that Tim Cook himself is essentially playing lobbyist. Oh, we didn't even yeah, we didn't even put this in the notes that Lawther, the uh, what is it, App Fairness? 
we've heard stories about Tim Cook calling up Nancy Pelosi directly. There's just been another story about Tim Cook acting as direct lobbyist. I mean, what kind of game is that? That seems like desperate to me. And meanwhile, Microsoft just seems like they fly under the radar all the time now. There's nothing they can do that. I mean, maybe we'll see. Maybe this gets flagged. It's hard to say these days. I don't think it will. I, I think even if it's challenged, that's going to be a case where uh, we're again not lawyers, but we've seen this how many times? I mean, Epic lost, right? What's the monopoly? Nintendo exists as big as it is in our minds. This doesn't make them anywhere near the largest game publisher. They're like third, but number one is is it Tencent? I think that's it. Yeah, yeah, the crazy Chinese company that people in America don't even think about, but owns like yeah. Uh, Sony is still. Now, a little shady because Sony does a lot of other stuff too, but so does Microsoft, but it's still a bigger, you know, bigger in the games industry. Especially if they promise to like license Call of Duty and whatever the other big activation games are for the PlayStation as well for a while. Where's the where's the monopoly? In fact, it lowers prices for consumers, which under, you know, that's how Apple won, right? Screwing the developers is not why do we always end up here? Well, I suppose it's time to roll, to launch Microsoft Radio and uh you know, just cover all things. My, I'm surprised there actually aren't more Microsoft podcasts. I think little Windows Weekly is still going, but it's going. But every time poor Paul Thrott has to talk about Linux, I can feel his spirit breaking. It's terrible. <laughs> Datadog.com slash coder radio. Datadog is a SaaS monitoring and security platform that enables full stack observability for developers, IT operations, security and business teams, and all of us in the cloud age. Datadog's platform, along with 500-plus vendor-backed integrations, allows you to correlate metrics, traces, logs, and your security signals across all your applications, infrastructure, third-party services, and it's all in one beautiful pane of glass. These capabilities, combined with the drag-and-drop dashboard that's beautiful and the machine learning-based alerts, well, that helps your team troubleshoot and correlate issues faster and more effectively, prevents downtime, and you're going to enhance your performance and your reliability as a result as well. Oh, I love it. And as an exclusive offer for Coda Radio listeners, if you sign up for a two-week free Datadog trial at datadog.com slash Radio, you'll receive a free Datadog t-shirt. Go check it out. It's a nice-looking shirt. That's datadog.com slash Radio, and happy monitoring. So the faker.js and color.js developer is back. To haunt me. He's taking shots at GitHub. He tweets, what's up at GitHub? 10 days since you removed my ability to publish to NPM and fix the infinity Zalgo bug in ColorJS. You never responded to my support emails. I have hundreds of packages I need to maintain. Everyone makes programming mistakes from time to time. Nobody's perfect. Um, hmm. Is a mistake. A mistake. <laughs> a very, a mistake with a coordinated, you know marketing campaign around it. Sure, it's a mistake. I like and, that. And the whole, like, uh, what really happened to Aaron Schwartz, Swartz, just a mistake. The repeating liberty, 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 liberty. <laughs> just a mistake. <laughs> just a mistake. Yeah, well, when you're cope, you know, when you're pair programming with Johnny Walker, sometimes things happen. Joking, no proof of that. So uh, people, some people feel like GitHub should give him, I mean, it's been forked. So why not give him back access? I don't know. I don't know. I have so, so many mixed feelings. I don't love what has happened now that, Git, the idea was not to be centralized. True. We've just failed because GitHub is owned by Microsoft, who also owns NPM. And it's like we somehow are completely centralized. 
you know, and I know you and I, we don't really want to get into this individual's mental health state or his background because there's a lot of stuff there and it seems questionable. Well, and we don't know him. And even if we did, it would be wrong. Right. But the, the core argument that this and Log4J recently brought up is funding. And here's the wild thing about this story. And I, I got to appreciate, I appreciate Dwayne on Twitter. He has a thread about this. We'll link to. He says there's aspects of the Faker JS thing that haven't been discussed. The crux of the thread is Faker JS was sponsored on Open Collective, and his company was one of the groups that sponsored it. This was uh, starting November in November after his complaint originally about not getting paid by companies, his first real big loud public complaint. Oh yeah. He says we started paying funds into the Open Collective that was set up by the maintainer. Over the next few months, he drew down about 75% of the funds to support development. He also landed some other sponsors who were showing up for between $50 to $500 monthly. And this is all public record. We'll have the link to the Open Collective page. The uh, Twitter thread goes on to say, the maintainer appears to stop drawing funds in April of 2021. I won't speculate as to why, but I will point out that when he rage quit earlier this month, the collective had a balance of $11,000. These funds are still his, though a new team has stepped up to maintain Faker. So when he rage quit, he had $11,000 in that fund. It's so strange. I mean, so I, uh, we've, when we talk about on the show, I have sponsored things on Open Collective for, for like projects that are starting out. And they do a really good job of telling people they get sponsors and money. Like a really good job. So... I mean, it, we, we shouldn't speculate too much, but I have to think he mustn't have remembered or known. 11 grand's not nothing. It's not nothing. But, you know, if you're getting a couple hundred bucks a month, it's not enough to pay the bills either. Like, it's, it's, it's almost this weird gray area where it's not enough to really be upset, but it's also not enough to actually live on. And, well, see, this is where it gets hard because, like, well, 11 grand can go a lot further different places. Yeah. 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 Right. So I don't know. I think this whole situation, I was super supportive when we first covered it. And now I'm like, this all seems real weird. Like to me, the, the most glaring thing is it was a mistake. My man, you, you went out there and were like, I'm doing this on purpose before, you know, reasons A, B, and C. I don't believe it's a mistake. And it's sort of silly to try to make that claim. I could believe that somebody was having a bad couple of nights and now they regret that decision. And it's pretty embarrassing to do it in such a huge public way. But trying to play it like it was an accident i mean what are you are you claiming you're really that incompetent i mean come on what are you really saying there well, it's not even incompetence right it's if it was a mistake you'd have to be quite incompetent for that series of events <laughs> it just does the math doesn't work man but and the tweets really screw over the income i'm just saying like you, 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 i don't know man i mean we've, we've all done bad tweets whatever but it, it's i feel like there was an easier more productive path to money now knowing there was an 11 grand starting point I, I don't know. I feel like the probably one of the biggest issues all these developers have is that they're too busy to even set something up and ask for money. Every developer we talk to, usually funding is a is a struggle. Yeah, but you never get like uh, pitches. Like there's there's nobody out there selling. Like you know, I think one of the things that's really hard is you want to be able to just do the work, and you know, if you build it, they will come kind of thing. But that's just not how it works. You know, you got to be out there selling and marketing and getting essentially sponsors for your project. And I don't think developers, A, have the energy, B, have the time, or C. But have the mindset. Mindset, yeah. Yeah. 
I mean, let's go, let's go all the way back to our founding fathers, so to speak, right? If Woz had never met Jobs, it would have just been a cool little hobby project that he gave away. The Apple One and the Apple Two, right? And this is why like, I keep not so subtly suggesting open core should come back and be a thing and we should not make that something we dunk on people on for. Because folks got to eat. I don't know to say. People have to eat. Like, I I don't know about this dude. I don't know him personally. Whatever. It's a weird thing that happened. Somebody else is maintaining the libraries now. I hope he gets his money. And I hope he's healthy. I hope, yeah, I hope he's okay. And if the 11, I hope the 11 grand helps him and all that good stuff. I mean, the, the problems are real. Apparently, just as real as green bubbles. So, I think people need to find ways to make money off of these foundational open source projects. Or we're going to keep having kind of strange incidents like this. Maybe not quite as dramatic, but... I almost can picture like like a talk I would give at a Linux fest that is like instructional on how developers should be selling themselves and seeking out sponsorships. Because there is a culture issue here. I have run into it several times. And I'll also just be really frank. I've never said this before, but... A lot of times when we're trying to work out how to pay some of these developers, they're extremely arrogant. Like they're incensed that we might even suggest PayPal, right? And for a company, PayPal is quite the olive branch because it doesn't really fit into the accounting system and workflow. It sucks. We're like, we're thinking here, we're being really flexy and we're using like this retail consumer system that people like to use. And, you know, it's, you get yelled at. It sucks. It's not a good experience a lot of times when trying to pay developers. And that's why things like Open Collective are really great. I just kind of feel like people need to go out and get people to support them on Open Collective. And I know that sounds, to some people, probably sounds ridiculous. Like, what are you talking about? I'm already giving away all this software and all this time, and now you want me to go convince people that it's worth it? But it's just how it works. And uh, there needs to be a bit of a culture shift, I think, in the development community, specifically in the free software development community, because you don't really see this issue, say, on like the the Mac. I was going to say, talk to talk to the Apple guys. They're like, what are you talking about? The first thing I think about is how am I getting paid? <laughs> Absolutely it is. And guess what? Some of them have been making like BB yet. It's been around for like 30 years as a result. And they're not screwing around. And uh, I just, I'll plug a podcast I haven't done in months, but my own show, the Mike Dominic show, right? I had a uh, Paul from Rogue Amoeba on and oh, yeah. the, the man has been making software that I, I don't know if do you use any of their stuff. Some of the best software on the Mac. Some of the best audio stuff on Mac. Yep. And he's been making it and selling it for, I think it's like over a decade, at least. But he came in with a business plan. He knew what he was doing. And he picked a line of work that pretty much requires new plumbing every single macOS release, and they are on it, you know? That's because Apple hasn't seen an audio API that they won't break. <laughs> I know. I know. I know. I know. It's, you know ultimately, ultimately, I decided not to rely on it for our recording studio. But what they have built there is like, here I am. A Linux user, and I have loyalty to that company because I recognize what a great product and how consistent they have been. You know, I have some weird, like, touchy feely butterfly nostalgia feelings for like the Panics, the Rogue Amoebas, you know, the, the independent software developers who are still like their own thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. So few, so few remain. Especially these days, especially. Uh, just quickly, we talked about this last week. The Netherlands has responded to Apple's new in-app purchase strategy where they're just basically charging you more and giving you a worse experience. Amazing. The watchdog group from the Netherlands has decided that, quote, Apple's changes failed to satisfy the requirements. They will be raising the fine from $5 million a week 
to $50 million a week until Apple complies. Tim, can you just lift up that couch cushion for me? Thanks. Thanks. We got it. I know. I know. But it is a statement. And, you know, these will add up. Remember, this was happening to Google for a while. All these different countries started putting these weekly fines. and All these different countries? You mean all of the EU? Yeah. I didn't want to say it because it sounds like we're picking on him, but it's true. Well, and, and <laughs> you know, there's a certain soundboard thing we probably shouldn't play again. So. Mm, especially now, man. Oh, yeah, no. Uh, we've, we we, we got to be pro-EU now. And, you know, if you follow that sound clip back, it kind of explains exactly what's going on right now. Isn't there a sense of irony? Yes. It's <laughs> just saying. Yeah. Very sad irony. Mm-hmm. Very much so. So, you know, anyways, $50 million a week. I mean, it's funny because, in a way, it's absolutely couch change for Tim Cook. But I imagine, you know, small business even trying to respond to a $5 million a week fine for something like this. Uh, you file chapter 11. You're done. You're done. <laughs> You're done. Oh, can I throw in a bonus story? I don't have much details on it, but uh, no, this is a good one. Apparently, in some future version of CPython, they're going to have WebAssembly support. What? And I saw it on Twitter, and I saw the repo. Uh, I forgot his last name, but Ethan, one of the core team over there, he's got it running on a branch. It's Now, we're talking probably months away. But that's cool because uh, a lot of folks are using Pyodine, Pyodide. Like I can never pronounce it because I've never had to say it out loud, which basically is a fork of it that does this. But if it comes into the main main project, that's huge because I personally don't think we talk about WebAssembly enough on the show and probably should. It's been a while. But it, in, intersecting with my beloved Python, which I blame Wes for, Objective-C could have done this too. <laughs> It's fine. I'm not crying. You're crying. Uh, no, but that's it's kind of a big deal, right? Because I hope and I believe that in browser development, things running as applications in the browser via WebAssembly is one, I'm relatively sure that's what Microsoft is doing with their Game Pass, unless they're really just sending you a video feed, which both of those could be true. This is a huge deal if nothing crazy happens and it doesn't get worse into the main. Yeah. Jeez. All right, so we're probably talking 3.11. I would even I I heard 3.11. I would, I don't know, I think 3.12, but we'll see. Boy, if you follow that out to what it could potentially lead to, that could be a game changer. Well, that's uh that's serious performance in an easy to write language Python in the in a ubiquitous uh development platform, i.e. the browser. Right. Yeah, the web browser. Yeah. Good stuff. That is good stuff. Wes was over at the studio last night and uh He's been working on this big project. I don't. I don't want to give away the details, but uh, he's been working on this big project that's Python based, and they're using Celery, which is like an asynchronous task queue for Python. And they ended up hitting a bug, and so you know they couldn't figure out why this wasn't working. The system was broken, and he starts going through collecting all the information, gets everything figured out. You know, because he's going to go, sub, you know, open up an issue or something like that. He goes over to the GitHub page, sees that they're already working on it. And that they already have like a patch that's getting tested. And, you know, you got to love that because some of these Python communities are just super on it and active. Now, it's not like that everywhere, obviously. But in some of these areas, like Celery, you just get really dedicated community members that are on top of these issues immediately. Oh, yeah. It's so damn impressive. That's why we really do got to figure out a way for these people to keep working because it's like some of the stuff, this should be their only job. This should be the only thing in life, you know, career-wise, they have to worry about. It's just this. Because it's, it's such a value. I have a, I have a little bot that runs here on the JB network 
that also uses Celery on the back end for its task management. And it's just so freaking great. Oh, did you kill the Ruby bot? No, no, this is a this is a different bot. Oh, okay. It okay. goes out and gets some information. I think one day we'll replace it with a Rust bot. Now, what we're really waiting for is somebody to write us a good Matrix bot. And then we'll probably switch the chat room. If we can get a nice, easy-to-use embedded chat, I don't really know. You know how many years you've been telling me you're thinking of switching the chat room? I know. Old IRC just keeps on ticking away. I just want you to know I'm on the Mac today, and I have the one God's only IRC client, Adium. Adium. Yep. <laughs> if I don't stop using it, I'm going to have to fork it and fix uh, the stupid scrolling bra. I hope you do, in a way. It's just, why not keep it going, right? It's written in a language that I understand, but I can't even imagine what the code looks like under the hood. It's got to be rough. Yeah, because that's some early days stuff there. Well, and it integrates not just with IRC, right? It does like, remember everything. they were trying to do everything? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Dear Lord. You know, what, what could go wrong? I'm sure that's not a mess. It's fine. Yeah. I'm sure. I want to say thank you to our members, coderqa.co. We recorded the Coderly last week, so that'll be coming out soon. We kind of don't have a strict release date because what we kind of do is we just slip it in on Drew and just like, surprise, Drew. But when uh, we get all around to it, it will be out in the member feeds. If you are a network member at jupiter.party, you'll also get that as well as access to all the shows ad-free. And really just a big thank you to our members. But even if you can't financially support the show, we're so grateful for you listening maybe giving us a rating somewhere where you do like to listen or recommending it to a friend. Word of mouth is like the only thing that works for podcast advertising. Like, are you going to go dedicate an hour to some brand new show unless somebody you know that you trust their opinion tells you it's good? Like, it's just the only way people pick up podcasts. So that's also just a great way to support the show that's totally free. And the show now has value for value support in the podcast apps that support boosting. If you don't know what I'm talking about, newpodcastapps.com. There's a whole new generation of podcast apps in the works. Mr. Dominic, is there anywhere you'd like to send people? Uh, I'll just do a little early plug. Uh, I am going to be hiring at TMB for some Python help to help me with some Alice Future integrations and a few other things. So if you're interested, you got to have a, just a little bit of experience and a couple repos, but shoot me a line. Uh, there's a million ways to contact me. Otherwise, at Twitter, at Dumanuko, the company's the Mad Botter. Nice. I'll give a plug for extras.show. We just put out a couple of great extras, including some bits and clips from our road trip that we kept the mic running while we were down, going down the road and had some fun things to share. So all of that's over at extras.show. As far as this show, though, links to what we talked about today, those are over at coder.show slash 450. Over there, you're also going to find our contact form. We love hearing from you. That's a big part of the show. Even if your email doesn't make it into the show, we read it and we try to respond to it. You can find our RSS feed there, so that way you can subscribe every single week in the app of your choice, because we support that open podcast ecosystem. And you can always consider joining us live on a Monday if you really want to take it up to the next level. That's noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern over at jblive.tv. Thanks so much for joining us on this week's episode. See you back here next week. <laughs>